For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy Rivalry week. It is the Stacking the Box college football show. As always, I'm your host, Reed Wallach, at Reed Wallach on Twitter, joined, as always, by Cody Williams, at the Sizzle 20 Cody, happy Thanksgiving, man. How's it going? Happy Thanksgiving, dude. It's going well, you know. Don't get to go back to the East Coast for Thanksgiving because, you know, plane tickets aren't cheap and having to make one for christmas here pretty soon too but uh you know enjoying a nice new new mexico thanksgiving so yeah it's good yeah i am not looking forward we are recording this on wednesday afternoon i'm going back to jersey i'm not looking forward to the traffic i'm gonna face uh probably a two-hour trip that should be closer to 35 minutes so it should be a a fun <laughs> evening for me but we got a lot to get to here. Enough of the Thanksgiving. I was going to ask you about what's your favorite dish on Thanksgiving, but it doesn't even matter because we got a lot to get to today. Got a lot of college football playoff rankings to sift through. We got the Jordan Travis injury to sift through. We have a boatload of bets we want to give out before we get out of here for the holidays. So let's just dive right in. But mm-hmm. before we dive right in, let me tell you about our partner Sleeper. Sleeper Daily Fantasy is giving new users a first deposit match up to $100. All you got to do is use the code FANSIDED2. That's the number two. So FANSIDED2. If you're watching this on YouTube, there's a barcode in your top left that would work as well. When you sign up and use the code FANSIDED2, you will receive your deposit match again of up to $100. And please remember to always game responsibly. Again, scan that QR code in the top to see if you qualify. Okay, let's dive right in. This is last week of regular season. It's crunch time for some of these teams. It's crunch time for us. So yeah. let's get right into it. Before the rankings were released, games were played last Saturday, and Jordan Travis suffered a gruesome leg injury, ends his season, Florida State quarterback. So Florida State's going to their backup, Tate Rotomaker, and the initial fallout was, oh, well, Florida State's not going to make the college football playoff. College game day, before the game even started, was mentioning can Florida State be left out even as an undefeated team? Before I bring out the rankings, because I think that's going to help kind of shed some light on the situation, what is your take on Florida State losing Travis? Can they win their remaining two games at Florida with a backup quarterback and Louisville in the ACC championship game? And do you think Florida State can make the college football playoff assuming they went out? Absolutely. I think yes is the answer to all those questions you 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 proposed. Sorry, I about said answered. You don't answer questions unless you're, you know, answering. Um, but no, I think yes is the answer to all of those because A, Florida is playing with a backup quarterback on their in their own. And like top to bottom, when you look at the rosters between the two, Florida State is the more talented roster between the two. I understand that Florida may have a little bit more to play for in this game, considering they're fighting for ball eligibility, considering it's in the swamp. But I think that Florida State is still just the more talented team, even with a backup quarterback, considering that's a situation they're both in. And then Louisville, 
we've seen Louisville mess around with some bad teams. Like, as we mentioned, their one loss is to Pitt, which the playoff committee is treating like two losses, considering they're behind two loss Missouri in the rankings. So I think Louisville can lose to anyone. And Tate Rodemaker, he's virtually an unknown commodity at this time. You know what I mean? And I think in terms of making the playoff, if they finish 13, like I think they have to win these two games to make the college football playoff, to be clear. And I think if they finish 13 and 0, I don't think it's the committee's place to necessarily project what they think Florida State is capable of with Tate Rodemaker on the on the field. Because we saw it in 2014, the first playoff. Ohio State went into the playoff with not not just their backup quarterback, their third string quarterback in Cardell Jones. And they won the national championship. So like this isn't necessarily uncharted territory and you have to like if you're the committee you have to respect the body of work that's been put forth by this team not just by Jordan Travis and the court and like what the quarterback means but like this team won all those games it's not just Jordan Travis winning these games so I don't see how if you're the committee you could leave a 13 and 0 Florida State team because of a quarterback injury because you don't know what's going you can't accurately prognosticate what's going to happen if they get into the playoff with a backup quarterback great points I think it would be absolutely ludicrous if Florida State didn't make the playoff, if they were to win these two remaining games with Tate Rodemaker at quarterback. I think it would be absolutely mm-hmm. insane. I don't care about a one-loss SEC champion Alabama. I don't care about a one-loss Big 12 champion Texas. It, it doesn't matter to me. They went out and won those games. The committee in this four-team playoff, you win all your games, you're in. That's the rule, yep. especially a Power 5 team. So to me, I think it would be absolutely ridiculous to penalize a team because a quarterback – had a serious injury and you have to cost the rest of the team who still, like you said, went out and won all those games. Mm-hmm. I know the ACC is technically down this year, but that being said, they still beat LSU on a neutral field. They went to death Valley and beat a Clemson team that is still power rated very nicely and is also playing better football at the moment and going to finish with a decent record. And, and it's in the top 25 more. now too. Yeah. So uh, to me, I don't think it would be very fair. Can I see it happening? I don't think so. I do think this will work itself out. And it, it, if Florida State were someone out, they would it, it wouldn't be up for debate. They would just get in and yeah. move on. Are they going to win a national championship? Probably not. But no. uh, besides the point, <laughs> I think it would be absolutely ridiculous to leave Florida State out. Now, let's talk about how the rankings shook out Tuesday night when the committee gave their updated rankings, starting from the top 10. Louisville is falls to 10. They were leapfrogged by two lost Missouri, an SEC team, which we'll come back to in a second. Alabama, number eight, Texas, number seven, Oregon, number six, Florida State was leapfrogged by Washington. So that Florida State five, Washington four, Michigan three, Ohio State two, Georgia one. Mm -hmm. Let's start really quick with the Florida State falling to five. I don't think that's a Jordan Travis thing. I think that's Washington winning on the road at Oregon State and they are rightfully jumping an undefeated Florida State. I don't think that's the committee starting to, to nudge like their way out of putting Florida State in the playoff. That being said, Missouri jumping Louisville, to me, projects that the committee is opening some avenues where they can justify putting two SEC teams into the playoff. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hypothesizing if Alabama beats Georgia, how do they keep Georgia in? Because that will be a one-loss Georgia with no SEC, no Power 5 Conference Championship. And it obviously – probably the best team, but the, you know, you wouldn't have the resume that someone like a undefeated Florida state would have. I think to me, it's more indicative of how are they going to try and screw over Florida state? Now that they dropped them to four, 
but that they moved Missouri into the top 10 firmly ahead of Louisville, who Florida State is going to have to play next week. No, 100%. And uh, we, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, the possibility should Washington have jumped Florida State last week, you know? And so I don't think this is a Jordan Travis thing. We were talking about that when Jordan Travis was healthy as that being like a, a merited uh, decision that the committee can make. And with the win over Oregon State, like Washington just simply has put together a better resume than Florida State at this current moment. Now, mm-hmm. granted, they have to finish it off. Like they've got the Apple Cup, which is looking a little trickier than we may have thought when Washington State was struggling in the middle of the season. And then they have obviously the Pac-12 championship game against either Oregon or Arizona. So, I mean, like you said earlier, this stuff is going to work itself out. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily look at the Missouri Louisville thing as the committee setting themselves up because if the committee were trying to set themselves up, I don't think they would like they didn't have to rank Clemson 22, and they did. And they didn't have to rank NC State, which they did. And so, like, I think that when you're looking at the way the committee treated the rest of the ACC, I think they, I think that's more of an indictment of Louisville and kind of just seeing like Louisville, you know, they almost, they played around with their food a little bit in Miami and almost got clipped again by an inferior team after nearly getting beat by Virginia the week prior. So I think it's more of an indictment of Louisville and the fact that. Louisville does not have a chance to make it into this 14 playoff, even if they were to beat Florida state. And so I think, I think the committee is kind of covering their bases in terms of making sure Florida state still has a credible resume. uh, If they were to beat Louisville by, you know, ranking those other ACC teams to give them more top 25 wins this season. Yeah, I completely agree. I I think those are some great points. I, I, I just think a lot of things are going to happen this week, especially that are going to sift out like the Michigan Ohio state thing. We'll get a clearer picture following Saturday. So I just don't know if there's that to me is obviously the big talking point heading into this week from a college football playoff rankings situation. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. I think we should move and talk about what's about to go down on the field on Saturday. What do you think? Absolutely. Let's do it, man. I'm excited. All right. Quick recap from last week. Cody got the better of me. He went 3-2. and two. I went 2-3. and three. Year to date. Still under 500, 38, 42, and one for yours truly. Cody, 36, 44, and one. 
Not sure we're going to get over the hump regular season uh, into the black, but let's finish strong. Let's finish That's strong right. right here. We got five picks to give out. Let's get right into it. We did this last week. We're going to focus on, in my opinion, the two, uh, I think our opinion, the two biggest games on the slate. It's Michigan, Ohio State, of course, and Oregon, Oregon State. But we talked about some of the playoff teams. Let's talk about some of those playoff contenders and maybe a bet you're eyeing in a game with some of these top 10 teams going at it. It is rivalry week, so maybe mm. it's time to uh, throw the book out the window. Throw your power rings out the window because you got some uh, bitter rivals going at it uh, starting tomorrow night, th- Thursday, with the Egg Bowl into Friday mm-hmm. and then Saturday. Where are you looking a playoff contender pick, Cody? Yeah, definitely throwing the power ratings out the window for this one. I'm taking Auburn plus 14 and a half against Alabama in the Iron Bowl. And obviously Alabama is the superior team in this matchup. Mm-hmm. Like that we just watched Auburn lose by 21 to New Mexico State. Sorry, Reed. I know you had Auburn in that game. But yeah, the, re- the reverse uh the reverse uh <laughs> spread is what I was looking for. I want I don't even know Auburn yeah, they would, or they would have covered uh, the plus 22 and a half instead of the minus 22 and a half. They would have covered that one, thankfully. Just barely, though. And uh, <laughs> so, like, the, the perception of Auburn is not high. But I do think that for multiple reasons, Auburn has the ability to keep this close. I don't think they have the ability to win this game, frankly. But I do think they have the ability to keep it close. And you look at Auburn's defense, and that's been any – the largest part of any success that they've had this season has been on their defense. They rank top 15 in both run defense grade and coverage grade, according to PFF this season. And the one area where they might be lacking in terms of how they've graded out the season is in pass rush. But I think that might actually play to their advantage against Jalen Milrow and this Alabama team. I think that they have the ability to just rush for and not give Milrow lanes to use his legs, use his mobility to their detriment. And so I think that Auburn's defense is actually going to be able to have pretty decent success in this game, especially at home. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I have that. The Iron Bowl at Jordan-Hare Stadium just tends to get a little wonky. Like, that's just kind of the way the things have played out. It's a vortex for Alabama where they play down to Auburn or Auburn plays up to them, whichever you prefer to say. But, like, the most recent example is 2021. Brian Harson, who was obviously a disaster of a head coach at Auburn, that team went – that 2021 Auburn team ended up going – six and seven lost in the Birmingham bowl. And they took a number three ranked Alabama team to overtime lost by two 24, 22. And there are multiple examples over the past decade of that happening. And on top of that, we now have Hugh freeze in the building. Hugh freeze has one of the best records against uh, Nick Saban of any head coach in America. He is two and three against Nick Saban. Granted, it's still a losing record, but two wins against Nick Saban when you're never, when he's never coached at a program that, is the same caliber of what Nick Saban has at Alabama. That's impressive. That's an impressive mark to put up. And I think that he knows how to coach against the Nick Saban coach team to close a talent gap, to close a disadvantage that his team might have. And so getting a hook over two touchdowns, I like Auburn in this game to cover. Yeah, it's ranked teams go to die at Jordan Harry. You could argue uh, Mm -hmm. Georgia's biggest test was on the road at Auburn, where Auburn, I, I don't even, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but had zero semblance of a passing game. It was all misdirection and runs. And uh, I know Alabama's offense is trending up, but this is not a Georgia level offense. And Auburn was able to keep a lid on that. So I think Auburn could be a little sticky in this one as well. I'm going to go to another underdog. I'm going to take Texas tech plus 14 against Texas Friday game, Texas. I've mentioned, I mentioned this last week when I took the under against Iowa state, I was afraid to take the points with Iowa state because I didn't know if the athlete, the athleticism of Texas could overpower Iowa state, which they ultimately pulled away with a cover. 
That being said, I think this game is going to be a little lower scoring. I think Texas Tech is playing their best ball at the end of the season. I think it's been tough to get a power rating on Texas Tech because they've had to shuffle through three quarterbacks. Brennan Morton is back. He's He was the preseason backup. I think he's better than Tyler Shuck to begin with. So you have the Texas Tech offense trending up. They have one of the leading rushers in the country in Taj Brooks. Mm-hmm. And frankly, Texas, we've seen them struggle to cover big spreads all year long. Mm-hmm. All year. they I know they blew out BYU, but this is a Texas Tech team that has athleticism on the defensive line, has shown an ability to play strong defense. And I, I think with an eye on the Big 12 championship next week, I think Texas Tech could keep pace here. Again, this is one of those rivalry games where you're going to see Texas Tech's best against uh, Big Brother Texas in-state. These two, uh, Texas Tech won an overtime last year in Lubbock. I know it's different now going to Austin to play this game, but two touchdowns for me, that's a bit rich uh, for Texas, a team that has struggled to really separate from teams. We saw just two weeks ago against TCU. I don't know if Texas was ever in danger of losing that game, but TCU made that three-point game late. So Mm -hmm. I think Texas Tech could hang around in this one. I think they're playing their best ball and peaking at the right time, and I think they'd love to play spoiler here. So give me Texas Tech plus 14. I think it's a similar type of handicap to the Auburn-Alabama one, not as uh, pronounced given it's not Jordan Hare, but I think (laughs) that could be a little sticky in this one. No, 100%. And, like, I think it comes down to, like what you said, Texas, Texas has no incentive to win this game with margin. Like, they have an incentive to win this game, but, like, a big win over Texas Tech isn't going to move the needle. It's not going to vault them into the, you know, the top four. It's not going to, like, all they have to do is win to get to the Big 12 championship, which is where they're going to make their bones and make their best case to get into the college football playoffs. So I see this as a game where we see Texas do what they kind of did last week against Iowa State, where they just keep Texas Tech at arm's length. But asking them to win with margin, I just don't see any motivation for them to do so. I, I completely agree. Let's move on to the biggest game on the slate. It's number two, Ohio State traveling to number three, Michigan. All eyes will be on this one Saturday, noon kickoff. Uh, We saw look-ahead markets at one point install Michigan as a seven-point favorite. This number has now trickled down to minus three and a half, total of 46. I think it's an interesting situation here because – about a month ago, you would have said, wow, Michigan hasn't played anybody, and they just destroyed everyone in their path. They face a few tests. They win. A little bit more challenging, though. Obviously, the science ceiling scandal, Jim Harbaugh hasn't been on the sidelines. Meanwhile, Ohio State, since getting their tests, have played a bunch of nobodies and have dominated those teams. So to me, I think it's interesting that you have one team that was once looked at as the dominant team now coming in on the other side where Ohio State, like the roles have almost flipped where Ohio State is yeah. dominating these teams and everyone thinks that they're equal. Cody, I'll let you lead off. I'm I, I'm taking the number that they're giving me. Like you said, the look-ahead markets were minus seven. I'll take Michigan minus three and a half. I still think Michigan is just the better team. You look at the scare that they got against Maryland last week. A, this, might, this is definitely a hot take. I think Talia Tagovailoa, when he's at his best, is a far better quarterback than what Kyle McCord is right now. And we saw Talia at his best. He made some mistakes, and that kept Michigan pretty much allowing them to keep the Terrapins at bay. But I think Talia is a wildly variant quarterback, and when he's at his best, he is damn good. And so I don't think that like Michigan is absolutely going to see a better quarterback in this game. I think it's actually quite the opposite. And also – when Michigan was dominating all this inferior competition, the one thing that we never saw from them was a letdown game. Well, it makes sense that the letdown game would come between, like sandwiched in between a trip. You have to go to Maryland 
on the road in between games at Penn, at Penn State and then at home for your biggest rival, Ohio State. So that makes sense for a letdown spot. And I think that's what we saw it. The other thing, the other narrative coming out of Penn State and Maryland is that J.J. McCarthy can't throw, you know, downfield. He's like, they're just limiting him and not letting him, you know, open up the passing offense. I think part of that is due to the fact that there is less receiving talent than he had a year ago, but I think that he is still more than capable. We saw him throw for 260 yards and account for four touchdowns against this Ohio State defense last year. This Ohio State defense has improved from last year. I'll give you that. And I also think that the Michigan offensive line is slightly diminished from that. But the big reason I'm on Michigan in this game is I think that the Ohio State offense is actually going to struggle to move the ball pretty consistently against this Michigan defense. You, I was digging into McCord's numbers. McCord, when he's been pressured this season, has been not just bad, but like one of the worst quarterbacks in college football. He has a 28.7 grade from PFF, a grading scale that goes to 100, 28.7 when pressured this season. Michigan is a top five team in terms of pass rush grade. They're also a top five team in terms of run defense grade. I don't see, and we've seen this Ohio State offensive line. They look like they have shown improvement, but they also have not played a high-end defense in quite some time. So I think it might be a little bit of fool's gold to really believe in what this Ohio Ohio State offense has come has been able to do as of late against, like you said, inferior competition. And I think Michigan's defense really controls this game. I don't think we see the 68 combined points that we saw in this game last year. I think it's a lot lower scoring, but I think Michigan Michigan's defense is the driving factor to give them like probably a win by like a touchdown or something like that. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna wait and see if a three pops for this game mm-hmm. and and take the Wolverines. I've been in the camp all year that I like Michigan a lot more than Ohio State, all for a lot of the points you said. I'm gonna take a little bit of a different route though. Uh, I am going to take the first half under 23. This is something that has been, you know, I've talked about it against Notre Dame when Ohio State played Notre Dame, when Penn State played Ohio State. To me, this shapes up to be almost like those games where it's going to be run, 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 wait for the first mistake to come from either quarterback or running back fumble or anything like that and wait for one team to kind of shoot the arrow across the across the aisle, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a very conservative start. You look at pace of play. Michigan, second slowest in terms of pay, plays per minute. Only Air Force is slower. Ohio State, they're in no rush either. They're outside the top 80. So to me, I think this game is going to be very slow, limited plays. I'm going to stay away from the full game under because you have seen of late, like the last mm-hmm. decade or so, these games have become shootouts when a team goes down, Pressing a lot more. I mean, this is a kitchen sink game. It's win or go home pretty much. So yeah, you're going to see if a team falls behind, they're going to be much more aggressive going forward. And maybe that leads to a few more explosive plays or wild uh, outcomes. So I like the first half under because I think this is going to be a very buttoned up start, in my opinion. You talk about Kyle McCord under pressure. I completely agree. Ohio State last year, third in run block grade. And they really weren't able to get a push against Michigan's defense. This year, they're 28th. So they're mm-hmm. trying to still elite, still great. But trending in the wrong direction. And you mentioned Michigan is a top five rush defense in terms of pro football focus is grading. So I think this is going to fall on Colin McCord's shoulder or arm, I should say. Granted, he has Marvin Harrison Jr. I just don't know if that's going to be there as much against a Michigan secondary. That's top five in completion percentage and has shut down. Uh, now we're going back years of a secondary that's incredibly disciplined. They know that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be work to get open. So I think we're going to see Ohio State struggle to generate points. The one X factor is Travion Henderson. Looks as healthy as he's been. 
violent runner, incredibly explosive. Can he rip one and flip the field? Possible. Um, I think on the Michigan side of things, a lot of talk about J.J. McCarthy's ankle got rolled up on against Penn State mm-hmm. with one been around at the end of the game. I saw Jim Harbaugh was asked about the ankle, and he was like, he's going to do everything he can to prepare for the game. Like kind of a non-committal answer. Yeah. Maybe J.J. McCarthy's a little limited, and maybe that's what's led to Michigan really going just full-service academy in some of these games. <laughs> maybe that's the case. I, But this is obviously put-up-or-shut-up time. It's the game. A lot, lot of uh, animosity on both sides yes. of what has transpired over the last month or so. But to me, I do think Michigan's better. I do think Ohio State's defense is great, but I think Michigan, to me, they – if we hit a point where Michigan goes ahead, I think it could turn to something similar against Penn State where they really try to lean on the ground game. Maybe it's one or two big shots. I mean, you look back at last year, I had plenty of questions about if J.J. McCarthy could take the top off of an Ohio State defense. 12 of 24 only, three touchdowns for 45-plus yards. So yeah, I think Jim Knowles, the Ohio State D.C., will wise up to that. But that being said, can Michigan scheme up a few deep shots as they continue to pound and pound and pound? on the ground it's going to be a really interesting game i i think michigan is still i don't think these two teams are equal on a neutral field i think obviously jj mccarthy's ankle is compromised that might flip things but right i'm gonna have to proceed that he's gonna be okay for this one and i'm gonna wait for a three and bet michigan but my pick for this game is gonna be the first half under 23 let me ask you something about this read because it's something that I've been toying around with. I think Mich- like I think Ohio State's defense is obviously very talented, very good, very well coached. I'm a big fan of Jim Knowles. I was at Oklahoma State and I'm a fan now still. <clears throat> but looking at Ohio State's schedule, have they played a good offense this season? Because I'm not, not sh- I'm not I'm not quite Notre sure. Dame, like, Notre Dame moved the ball pretty well on them. Yeah, and that's probably the best offense that they played if you ha- if you look through it. Like I mean, Western Kentucky might grade out better, but there's just a talent gap that you're not yeah, going yeah, to cut. You're not going to cover there. And so, like, I understand that Michigan's offense may not be on the level of a Georgia, of an LSU, like of those top tier offenses that we've seen this season. But I think it's pretty clearly the best offense that this Ohio State defense has seen. I think it's going to be a different caliber of athlete that they've seen. I'm not saying it's going like I said. I don't foresee them scoring 45 points, Michigan, like they did last year, but. I do think that we might see Ohio State's defense look far more mortal than we might be thinking based on what, who they played this season. No, I, I completely agree. I think, again, what happens if the schedules were reversed? Michigan would go back to being like a, you know, a four and a half point, maybe not seven, but you know, four and a half, five yeah. point favorite. Uh, maybe Ohio State has the weapons in Ibuka, Stover, obviously Marvin Harrison Jr. And maybe that's the difference in this game, and they hit the the big explosive plays. But to me, I, I think Michigan, I, I, I just think they're a better team and they're going to get it done here and, you know, advance. I think you're getting kind of a perception downgrade on Michigan where it's kind of unconvinced that Ohio state is much different than what we've thought the entire year. Yeah. Maybe Kyle McCord. Cause I, I think it's interesting. Last year I had questions for JJ McCarthy. If he could go into uh, Columbus and make enough explosive plays and win the game. Roles have flipped. Roles yep. have flipped where it's can Kyle McCord do enough to get Ohio State to the finish line here and go to the back to the Big Ten Championship and probably be in the college football playoff. So I think it's very interesting. Cody, before we move on to the next game, with no Jim Harbaugh on the field, do you think that this is going to mean something come Saturday? I 
Based on the track record, I would say maybe slightly because Michigan has looks like, and granted, it's hard, it's hard to, you know, balance. Is it because they finally played the best teams on their schedule, or is it because Jim Harbaugh's not there over the past two mm-hmm. weeks? Because they have looked like a less dominant version of themselves without Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines. However, like I'm not sure how much value Jim Harbaugh, who is a CEO, more of a CEO type of coach, I'm not sure how much value he necessarily adds on game day. Whereas, you know, you look at a coach like, granted, this might be a bad example this season, but like a Lincoln Riley, he adds a lot of value on game day as a play caller, as an offensive mind. Whereas Jim Harbaugh isn't necessarily as hands-on on game day. And he's still present during the week. Like the suspension is only for sidelines on game day. So like he's still practicing with the team. I'm wondering if, like, I mean, we've seen it in the past two years that Michigan kind of slow plays Ohio State into not putting everything that they have on film so they can, like you said, throw the kitchen sink at Ohio State in this game. So Harbaugh's still preparing for that during the week. And so I don't, I think if there is any difference, it's almost negligible. Yeah. I, I think in this game, it might mean a little bit. We'll see if uh, Sharon Moore is put into a spot where he's got to make a big decision. Very aggressive mm-hmm. last week against Maryland. This is obviously a little bit different. The stakes are as high as it can get. I wonder, and listen, Jim Harbaugh, guy coaching a Super Bowl, coaching two college football playoff games, been in big games. I just wonder if that means a little bit come Saturday. So we'll True. see. We both are on the, We both think Michigan gets it done in spite of all the adversity. Let's move on, though, the other big game, the Civil War. Last one for a bit, we think. Between yeah. Oregon and Oregon State last year, I mean, my God, Oregon State was one of the most epic comebacks you'll see. I think it was like down 21 late third, and they come back and shock Oregon. Oregon now a two-touchdown favorite. Total hanging at 62. Oregon, they have the arguably the Heisman Trophy favorite in Bo Nix. They have a much-improved defense. Oregon State, meanwhile, they're off a loss to Washington. They close as the a favorite in that game. They do lose to Washington Pretty tight game there, rain-filled. Can Oregon State, maybe they didn't last week play spoiler, can they this week play spoiler at the hands of their rival uh, and make this game uh, maybe more interesting than the line would indicate? Cody, how do you see this one? So I I don't have a pick on the side, but I do think Oregon State can keep this within the spread. I flirted with the idea of taking Oregon State as a dog, but my, my play for this game is Damian Martinez over 97.5 rushing yards. I like Damian Martinez to basically run amok in this game. You know, we talked earlier in the season about how Oregon's defensive weakness was probably in their run game. We talked about that really heavily going into the Washington game because we were skeptical somewhat of if Washington could fully take advantage of that because they weren't running the ball at the time. Well, Oregon State is going to run the ball. And Mm -hmm. we've seen Oregon's defense kind of grade out better as the season has gone on in terms of EPA per play. I believe they're 12th in the country in EPA per rush defensively but when you dig a little deeper specifically with uh pff they only actually rank 45th in run defense grade and you flip that around oregon state has the second best run blocking grade in the country and we know how good damian martinez is he's a violent runner he's a explosive runner and he is the lifeblood the engine that makes this oregon state offense go even if oregon jumps out to a lead we know that oregon state is not going to stop running the ball we saw it last week when washington jumped out ahead Oregon State just held the plan, which is get the ball to Damian Martinez and give him a bunch of touches. And so I think we see a lot from Damian Martinez in this game. 
And he's been over this total in six of 11 games this season. Last season against Oregon, which granted was in Corvallis, on only 15 carries, he was over this total, had 103 yards. And that was while they were coming back in that game, as you mentioned. So, like, I don't think that there's any game script that where Damian Martinez isn't a focal point of this Oregon State offense. Like, if this offense is going to work, he has to be still heavily involved in it. And I think it's a matchup that is sneakily – set up for him to have a really productive day. So getting this total under 100, it was at 103 and a half last night. It's dropped six yards. Music to my ears. I will take it all day over 97 and a half for Damian Martinez. Yeah, I I think we see this one eye to eye. I took Oregon State plus 14. You can find that DraftKings right now. I, I think Oregon State closed a favorite against Washington. And I know Oregon is now rated ahead of Washington pretty considerably, but I know they lost, but it's not like they look terrible in the game. And I, I don't want to say throw it out because it is an important data point, but it was rain filled, a lot of turnovers in that game. It just wasn't it wasn't a clean game from either side. So no. I, I just wouldn't like be like, oh well, Oregon State lost, like huge downgrade. I think like I thought it was a little I thought Oregon State was a little overrated in that game. Now I think they're being underrated in this game. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a rivalry game where you kind of throw the book out on what you're gonna see. These are two teams that know each other very well. Jonathan Smith has kind of had Oregon's number and has really played these ones close. I'm going to pull up uh, in a second the recent scores between these two teams. But Oregon State, you mentioned the run defense grade for Oregon is, I don't want to say suspect because it's an elite defense, but I think Oregon is Oregon State's going to be able to play their method of football, which is mm-hmm. slow, pound the rock, get in close, get into short down distances, and convert third and shorts, fourth and shorts, and you know, get into scoring position. Seems top five in terms of red zone touchdown percentage. So they're able to convert from in close. All of a sudden, the score is picking up. I like Oregon State in the game. I bet the over myself. I know this game is going to be full of points. I mentioned Oregon State going to be able to control this ball, but the secondary is a big issue. Mm-hmm. I mentioned it last week when talking about Washington, Oregon State. I think the rain got a little in the way of that one. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that stopped the over, and there were 30 – 32 points in the first half. So like kind of right where you need to be for an over. And then the rain picked up a little too much. Mm -hmm. This one, I think we're going to get that over home this time. Oregon state secondary. I mentioned they're going to have issues. Michael Penix and Odunze had a hundred yards and Michael Penix only completed, I believe it was like 15 passes. Yeah. You think Troy Franklin's going to do this secondary. He's going to absolutely cook. I think Bo Nix is going to have a big day, but I think Oregon's defense is also going to struggle. Look at some of the times where they played a run, an efficient run first offense. If you just go, it hasn't been that often this year. Oregon has low key had a fairly easy rush defense schedule. Okay. This is going to sound crazy. Cal was able to move the ball on Oregon. I know they oh, lost 63 yeah. 19, but if you look at what Cal does, one of the more potent rushing attacks this year, Cal in the first half, especially was able to move the ball. And then they eventually ran out of gas and Oregon kind of steamrolled them. That's one Texas tech on the road. Uh, Oregon was on the road in Lubbock. That game was back and forth. Oregon was almost lucky to win that game. Uh, they were down late. Texas Tech had the ball and nearly uh, won the game outright. It was a pick six that got Oregon some margin. 38-30. Look at that game. Texas Tech, 0.21 EPA per rush. That's 78th percentile when compared to all games last season. So Texas Tech, an above average rushing mark. You look at yards per rush in that game. Texas Tech was able to pick up 7.71 yards per carry in that game. So I think Oregon State can hit some big plays. I think Oregon's definitely going to hit some big plays. I think this game is going to be much closer than this point spread indicates. And again, 
Oregon, if they win, are in the Pac-12 championship game. If they get up a little bit, maybe they take their foot off the gas. Maybe they look to stay healthy for the Washington game next week. I think that's something you go back to the Alabama-Auburn game is something to keep in mind. The Texas-Texas Tech game is something to keep in mind. Teams with a lot more at stake next week. They may not look for margin in this game. They may no. not look to just get to the get a win and move on. So uh, another reason to back those underdogs. And Cody, while I let you respond, I'm going to look up those uh, recent numbers on Oregon, Oregon State. No, 100. percent And you, um, you said that Oregon sneakily hasn't had their run defense tested that much that often this season. They haven't been tested that often this season, man. They after Utah dropped out of the latest college football playoff rankings, Oregon has not faced but one ranked team this entire season in the latest top 25. And that was Washington, who they lost to. This is by far the second best team that they played on their schedule. This is another situation where I just I don't think Oregon has necessarily been tested at the level that we may think that they have because. We look highly upon the Pac-12 this season because they've had a lot of high-end teams, a lot of high-quality moments and things like that. But in terms of Oregon's schedule, they have not necessarily been tested that like that consistently. And you look at the times that they faced, you know, not necessarily elite teams, but elite units. Like they allowed 27 points to USC. USC, uh, I believe, lost that game by nine. So like, and we know that USC is a worse team than Oregon State. So I think that Oregon State is being severely disrespected in this. And I still am of the belief that Oregon, although a very good team, a deserving college football playoff contender, if they, if they went out is still being slightly overrated a little bit based on who they played this season. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And then just to go back the last three years, Jonathan Smith, who's been rebuilding this Oregon state program the last three years, civil war last year, Oregon state won on the road 38 or one at home, sorry, 38, 34 year prior, they lost 38, 29 and then the year before that, they won 41-38. So there's a trend there. A lot of points. A lot, oh, yeah. of, a lot points. of points. A lot of points. A lot of points. And, and balance, baby. Lot, uh, very competitive games at that. So there you go. Oregon, Oregon State. Let's move on, though, to some of the staples of our show. Of course, the underdog pick. What did we do last week on the underdog pick? I hit UNLV, right? I think I did. Yeah, I hit the spread, but not outright on Illinois versus Iowa. And I hit UNLV plus the three against Air Force. They won that game outright. Go Rebs. Yep. All right, underdog pick. Last week of the season, where are you looking, Cody? Uh, I'm going to the AAC, and I'm taking UTSA plus three and a half against at Tulane. Uh, Tulane, very good team once again. They are also a little bit fraudulent. Um, we look when you look over the past like month and change for Tulane. Last week they beat uh, FAU, which is a team that's been kind of reeling as of late. 24 to 8. That is the first time in a month that Tulane has won by more than a, more than one possession. And that's while playing teams like East Carolina, Tulsa, bottom feeders in the AAC. They've been struggling to put them away. This Tulane team just is one-dimensional on offense. They don't run the ball particularly effectively consistently. It's very Michael Pratt oriented. And on top of that, the defense has taken a step back. And that's where I really start to run into problems for them in this game and why I like UTSA. UTSA on their for their part, they've been surging. They started off the season one and three, a lot of injuries. Frank Harris was banged up. And since then, they won seven straight games. They're now eight and three after starting one and three. And in that winning streak, they've not scored fewer than 34 points in any of those games. And they've won all but one by double digits. They've been absolutely rolling, particularly on offense. But on top of that, the way that they've been succeeding, when you start to look at the metrics, is 
a particularly bad matchup for Tulane. So Tulane ranks 92nd defensively in EPA per drop back. And UTSA, they kind of rely on the passing game with Frank Harris. They rank 38th in EPA per drop back offensively, but that's with the first four games of the season when they were really banged up and trying to figure things out. That's graded into there, and they've been trending up ever since. And then on the flip side of that, UTSA is top 30 defensively in EPA per drop back, and they struggle against the run. But like I said, Tulane is not a run-first team. They rely heavily on Michael Pratt's arm. And yes, he is a mobile quarterback, and he can run, but for them to have success offensively, we've seen this season that it really takes Michael Pratt throwing the ball around the yard a little bit, and that's what UTSA does best defensively. I just think this matchup favors UTSA. Honestly, when I'm looking at the numbers, I think the wrong team is favored in this game. So I'm getting three and a half plus 145 on the money line. Give me the Roadrunners. Meet me. I, I'm with you on UTSA. I, I think they're the better team. I think they're peaking at the right time. And I think they're going to get uh, Tulane at Yulman Stadium. I, I think UTSA's defensive line could definitely cause some havoc. Top five in the country in terms of sacks this year. So I think UTSA could definitely make some noise here i i I think they're gonna win as well i i definitely like the points there another one where i think the wrong team is favored in what world should unc be laying points to north carolina state at carter finley stadium no less this is a team uh north carolina state that is peaking at the right time they have won four straight i don't care if it's mj morris back there or brennan armstrong this team is starting to trend in the right direction i think they have a significant coaching advantage in this one with dave doran you look back at last year drake may loses this game at home in double overtime to third stringer Ben Finley and the Wolfpack. North Carolina State won the year before that as well against Sam Howell. North Carolina State's defense, the 3-3-5 Dave Doran, first of all, is one of the best in the entire ACC, but also has UNC's number. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's changing here. And the way UNC's defense looks, they've allowed 30 or more to five straight ACC opponents. I get Drake Mays on the other sideline. Cool. I'll take the Wolfpack. It was a team that it looked like that win total was going to be dead in the water, but they have soared past six and a half. They're thinking about nine. Uh, I like the Wolfpack in a rivalry game, night game at Carter Finley Stadium, where the crowd is going to be into this one. It's not like North Carolina State. Sure, they don't have like stakes in this game, but nine wins is nothing to laugh about with NC State. This team is revitalized. And it's a tough place to play. Like I said, a rivalry game, a team that has had historic success. Wolfpack, outright. Love it. Uh, as a North Carolina fan, I hate this pick. Uh, also, as a North Carolina fan, it is 100% the right <laughs> pick. Uh, Carter Finley is one of the most underrated road environments in in like the country, not just the agency yeah. in the country. Like it is a very tough place to play. It's not as big as like, you know, an, an SEC stadium or anything like that. But I think that works to it. It's, it's advantage because everyone right. who's there it's is bound in. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. It, like it gets, it gets rowdy in there. My wife is an NC state alum. She's in the other room. She's probably loving all of this. <laughs> um, but I do think that I think North Carolina because they aren't a traditional football power, they kind of escape some of the criticism. But as someone who's watched every game as a fan, let me tell you, they are basically East Coast USC. They have an all-world quarterback going to be a top-five draft pick and a terrific offense that can score on almost anyone, except if you get the right matchup, you can slow them down a little bit, which we saw with USC this season. And that's been NC State consistently – like. With Sam Howe, with Drake May, it doesn't matter. NC State's been able to slow this down. And then on the flip side, Gene Chizik, if Gene Chizik has a job next year at, in Chapel Hill, I will lose my mind. 
I love it. I, I love it. Uh, two of the bigger games on the slate too. Those those will have some eyeballs. So we both like the dog there. UTSA plus three and a half for Cody and NC State plus two and a half uh, against UNC. Our final sickos pick of the year. Cody, I think you're paying homage to me here with yours. Absolutely. This is a huge hat tip to you and also a huge hat tip to points. Uh, UAB, North Texas over. Last game of the regular season, we got to get UAB in here. UAB, Delphor mm-hmm. over. They're not going to a bowl. So we got to go out with a bang. This is an extremely high total, obviously, 74 points. Yeah. But what better way to celebrate a Sickos pick in rivalry week than a non-rivalry game between two teams who are not going to be bowl eligible? And that's why we landed on this game. But also you look at all the metrics and it just it screams a monster point total that this game is going to finish with. North Texas grades out as literally the worst defense in the country by EPA. They are 133rd. UAB, not much better. 126 in EPA per play defensively. But North Texas, 21st or 24th in terms of offensive EPA. UAB, 41st. And on top of that, both of these teams rank top 15 in plays per game. They run at a fast pace. They don't play defense. Neither of them do. And they both have effective offenses that they know how to, that have been working really well consistently all season. The point totals for both of these teams have consistently been high. And I don't see how it's going to change in this game. I don't think there's the defensive talent and on the field in this game to slow down either of these offenses. So yes, it's 74 points. I think this game is played in the eighties or nineties. I don't, I don't think I'm even sweating this at 74. Yeah. I bet UAB at three and a half. I, I for like similar reasons, it's going to be like a fake game. Like they're, they're, they're <laughs> it's like an exhibition pretty much. It's just going to be running yeah. up and down the field. Uh, Chandler Rogers have been really good for North Texas, but uh, I like UAB and the Dilfers to win the game outright, but also the game to be played in like the 40s. Like there should be, I highly doubt there will be many stops in this game. So I agree with you there. Oh yeah, punters can like, by the cooler all game. Mine is like the opposite case of a sickos pick. I went under 46 and a half in Air Force Boise State. Mm. So Boise puts up a big number after they fire their coach, Taylor Green. They run wild against Utah State. They put up 40 plus. That's great. You look at last year's game between these two teams. The total was, if I'm not mistaken, 39 and a half. Let me fact check that. Yeah, the total was 39 and a half, and the game finished 1914 in favor of Boise State. You fast forward to this year, like this time, Boise State's offense has been somewhat underwhelming. The, the new offensive coordinator has not really clicked with Taylor Green. They've had to go to Maddox Madsen, who's now out for the year, more of a pure pocket passer. Mm-hmm. Going up against Air Force, who won't have their starting quarterback again, Zach Larrier. He's now off the depth chart. They're starting running back, Michelle, off the depth chart. So kind of a bare-bones Air Force team that they're still going to do what they want to do. They're still going to run the triple option. They're still going to try and slow this game down. So I just don't know why we should expect, given what we've seen over the balance of the season, for this game to be full of points. Air Force is beating up on a bunch of jobbers and, you know, they had one of the easiest strength of schedules. It's part of the reason why we bet UNLV last week. Boise, their offense has been hit or miss time to time. You're getting a physical Air Force team. I know it's on the Smurf turf, but I just, I don't know where this number's coming from, 46 and a half. I think this game is going to be played in the 30s. I think it's going to be slow. Also, huge game for Mountain West title implications. Winner mm-hmm. likely goes to the Mountain West title game, depending on what happens against you in the UNLV game. So I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be played very physically and very slow. Uh, Give me the under 46 and a half Air Force Boise State. Yeah, I think the only reason 
that I can even come up with why this number is where it is is just because we've seen Air Force's defense kind of fall off just a little bit. But I don't think Boise State is the offense that's going to be able to exploit that the way that we saw, you know, a UNLV and the way that they've been cooking this season. I don't think that they are the same caliber of attack that's going to be able to do that. And then on the flip side, like you said, we know what Air Force is going to do, and they're going to be doing it worse than they have all season because they have backups at their two most important positions in the triple option offense. So I just, yeah, I think that this number is absolutely too high even if i can find one reason to justify it it's still absolutely too high and i think we see it very much a similar game script to what we saw a year ago and i mean like even if you if you even if you believe that this might like you said with the mountain west title implications if you believe that things could get loose in the second half even a first half underplay isn't bad because i don't think we're i think we're going to see some you know very tight very very conservative game scripts to start off at the very least. But I also think that the 40 under 46 and a half is still a great play because I don't think either of these offenses are necessarily capable of like tearing it open. Like we might see in an Ohio state, Michigan, or like we have seen in Ohio state, Michigan in recent years with those, you know, big game implications. I completely agree. I, I think this game is going to be a rock fight. I, I think similar scores last year, like 1914, I think uh lot of slow possessions to air force always, uh, you know, I just, it's a big total for a service academy. So we'll say, yeah. Cody, it was a pleasure doing this all regular season. For the last time, will you recap your picks? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, so playoff contender pick, I like Auburn plus 14 and a half in the Iron Bowl against Alabama. Michigan, Ohio State, give me Michigan minus three and a half. Love the Wolverines in that one. Oregon, Oregon State, give me Damian Martinez over 97 and a half rushing yards. Think that total is just a little bit too low. Uh, underdog pick UTSA plus three and a half plus 145 on the money line at Tulane. I think they win it outright. I like the Roadrunners there. Sicko's pick one more time. Dill for over baby UAB North Texas over 74. Love you, Trent. Uh, Love you, baby. <laughs> uh, playoff contender pick. I took Texas tech plus 14 against Texas. Took the first half under in Michigan, Ohio State. That's 23. Took the over 62 in Oregon versus Oregon State. The underdog pick, I took North Carolina State plus two and a half. Think they win that game outright. And then my sickos pick, the opposite of a deal for over. The Service Academy played under. Give me Air Force, Boise State, under 46 and a half. Again, sign up with our partner Sleeper to get a $100 deposit match. Use the promo code FANSIDED2. That is the number two, FANSIDED2. And Cody, happy Thanksgiving. We will see you for conference championship weeks. And yeah, everybody have a great Thanksgiving. Good luck with all the remaining bets and enjoy the football. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.